Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, so everybody wonders what happens to us when we die, right? Is there a God? Is heaven real? And if so, what is it like and who will be there? It's a huge topic in our culture today. Just scan the songs, books, movies, cable channels. You will find curiosity about the afterlife, spirits, near-death experiences, and heaven. And yet, even though we're curious, we're also in denial. And most people don't like to think or talk about death, even though there's a really high percentage chance it's going to happen. Isn't there? And so last week, we started talking about these near-death experiences. If you missed it, I would really encourage you to go online and give it a listen, because I made the case that they appear to be both credible and biblical. Credible and biblical. I also mentioned that the Gallup organization and other studies estimate that 13 million Americans, that's one in 25, have had a near-death experience. This is where the heart stops beating, no brainwave activity, and medical technology has resuscitated these people, brought them back to life. Now, that's not anything new. Jesus brought Lazarus and Jairus' daughter back to life. And what these people say that they are experiencing on the other side is very hard for some people to believe. Some just reject the data outright, okay? But if we look honestly at what modern medical evidence is telling us, it's the fact that life does not end when your heart stops beating. The death is actually the beginning of a new life that's more invigorating, exhilarating than you could even imagine. And God's been telling us that in the Bible the whole time. So a man by the name of John Burke, pastor in the Austin area, he has written a book called Imagine Heaven. It quickly became a New York Times bestseller. And in this book, he says that he has studied over a thousand accounts of near-death experiences. And they reveal exactly what the Bible says, but they do it in a way that enables us to imagine how great heaven is going to be. And so I would just encourage you, if you're skeptical, read that book. Or the shorter version we passed out last week called What's Afterlife? I think you'll find incredible evidence that heaven is real, and it will encourage you to live for that future home. Now, let me just say, I am skeptical personally of any one story, and you should be too. I mean, some people say some pretty bizarre things, and it's dangerous to build a view of the afterlife just based on a few stories. And these people are trying even to describe things that are difficult to put into human words. But when you start to look at the common elements across thousands and thousands of stories, and there are about 120 of them in the book, Imagine Heaven, you begin to see how they parallel so closely exactly what the Bible has to say. And it's very, very compelling. So just imagine for a second, it's that point in your life that you feared the most. Okay, you breathe your last breath. What these people are reporting is, much to their surprise, many, they leave their body, but they remain in the local vicinity, looking down on their lifeless body. So they're out of body in a new body. And to their surprise, they can't tell if they're dead because they feel more alive and more themselves than they ever have before. What they thought was going to be scary is invigorating. 
And that's what so many people are reporting to cardiologists, oncologists, and other doctors who have revived them. And it's begun to convince many skeptical doctors that there is indeed an afterlife. One man I mentioned last week, Dr. Jeff Long, a radiation oncologist, he read about these near-death experiences in the journal of the American Medical Association. And he said it was compelling, but hard to believe. So he just kind of dismissed it. And then one evening at a dinner party with friends, a lady by the name of Sheila mentioned an allergic reaction that once made her code. Her heart stopped. And so out of curiosity, Dr. Long decided to probe. He said, did anything happen to you when you coded? Hesitantly, Sheila said, yes. I found myself at ceiling level. I could see the EKG machine I was hooked up to. The EKG was flatlined. The doctors and nurses were frantically trying to bring me back to life. The scene below me was a near panic situation. In contrast to the chaos below, I felt a profound sense of peace. I was completely free of any pain. My consciousness drifted out of the operating room and moved into a nursing station. And I immediately recognized that this was the nursing station on the floor where I had been prior to my surgery. From my vantage point near the ceiling, I saw the nurses bustling about performing their daily duties. After I watched the nurses a while, a tunnel opened up. I was drawn to the tunnel and then passed through the tunnel and became very aware of a bright light at the end of the tunnel. I felt peaceful. She goes on to say, after I passed through the tunnel, I found myself in an area of beautiful, mystical light. In front of me were several of my beloved relatives who had previously died. It was a joyous reunion and we embraced. I found myself then with a mystical being of overwhelming love and compassion. Do you want to go back? He asked. I responded, I don't know, which is just like my old indecisive self at the time. After further discussion, I knew the choice to return to my physical body was mine. It was a most difficult decision. I was in a realm of overwhelming love. In this realm, I know I was truly home. But finally, I returned to my body. I awoke in the ICU over a day later. I had tubes and wires all over me, and I could not talk about my profound experience. So since that time, Dr. Long has accumulated, collected, and scientifically studied thousands of these near-death experiences, some of which are explored in the book Imagine Heaven. And Dr. Long concludes by saying this, by studying thousands of detailed accounts of NDEers, near-death experienced people, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. Now, John Burke, in his book, mentions many, many more skeptical doctors who were convinced by people reporting things that they couldn't have possibly seen being outside of their lifeless body. In fact, The Lancet, one of the most prestigious medical journals, <clears throat> published another account of a patient going into cardiac arrest, stopped breathing, said this, at the time that a tube was being placed in the airway to ventilate the patient, it was noticed that he had upper dentures. The dentures were removed and placed in a crash cart drawer while the patient was deeply comatose. Over a week later, the patient reported having an out-of-body experience and accurately described the room he was resuscitated in and the people present. Remarkably, he declared that his lost dentures could be found in the crash cart drawer. Interesting. 
See, what convinced so many skeptical doctors were verifiable details that these clinically dead people, children and adults described, that they couldn't have possibly seen unless they observed them from a vantage point outside of their lifeless body. See, when you die, you leave your body, but you're still you in a new spiritual kind of body. You know, science tells us that a single skin cell of your physical body dies and gets reborn or replenished every two weeks. So you're not the same physical self this month that you were last month. That means whatever you are is not just physical. And the Bible's told us that for thousands of years. Now, last week I left by saying that I was going to give you two primary characteristics of near-death experiences and show you how they line up exactly with the Bible. And I got to tell you, I wish I could give you 10. All right, they're in the book. You can study them for yourself. But because of time, I'm only going to give you two this morning and show you how they parallel the Bible. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Out of body in a new body. Out of body in a new body. Near-death experience people describe leaving their body, but not going into unconsciousness or oblivion. They describe becoming more alive in a new body that's different and better than they could have ever imagined. Okay, so Dr. Mary Neal, we talked about her last week. She was in that kayak accident. This is what she said. She said, I finally felt my body released from the boat and begin to tumble with the current. At that moment, my body was released and began to feel a pop. It felt as if I had finally shaken off my heavy outer layer, freeing my soul. And so we know that her body is still in the boat. I rose up and out of the river, and when my soul broke through the surface of the water, I encountered a group of 15 to 20 souls, human spirits sent by God. See, many people describe being greeted by friends and loved ones who already died that are a part of a welcoming committee and usher them into the presence of God. So she says, I encountered a group of 15 to 20 souls who greeted me with the most overwhelming joy I have ever experienced and could ever imagine. It was joy and an unadulterated core level. In fact, in another place, she said, we actually danced together. So while she's looking down on her body and they're resuscitating her, she's actually with this group of spirit beings in some form of body, and she's dancing together with them. Bank president Marv Vesterman said this, my old geezer body felt young and strong and fantastic. The aches and pains and limitations of my age were just gone. He said, I felt like a teenager again, only better. Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah, that sounds really good, right? Paul says this in the Bible, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So what these people are describing is the body they find themselves in is different. It's better, it's supernatural, it's spiritual. I love what a blind lady named Vicky said. She was in an automobile accident, flatlined right there at the scene, okay? She described coming out of a tunnel and onto grass, and this is the way she puts it. And by the way, the book of Revelation describes things similar to this. She says, trees and flowers and a vast number of people surrounded her in a place of tremendous light. And this light, Vicki said, was something you could feel as well as see. Everybody there was made of light, and I was made of light. 
what the light conveyed was love. There was love everywhere. It was like love came from the grass. Love came from the birds. Love came from the trees. She says, I was made of light. Everything was made of light and it was filled with love. Now you wanna see what the Bible says? Here's what Daniel wrote. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. He's talking about the resurrection. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Did you catch that? He said, physically, light, we're gonna shine. This is gonna be the glory of God that is displayed in us. And I could show you many, many Bible verses, but let's just jump right to Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. He said, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The Bible says that those who come into a relationship with Jesus, when they're in heaven, they're gonna have a body that shines like light. You know, Paul describes this in Philippians. The apostle John describes it in Revelation. But most of the time we read things like that and we think, well, that's just metaphorical. I mean, he's just talking like we're gonna have a really special body. No, you're gonna be transformed in unbelievable ways. The body you have will be so much better. Won't that be nice? Like yesterday I was in the gym and, and I'm not swole right now, I'm sore, okay? I mean, we work so hard to preserve these bodies. In heaven, you're not gonna have to work hard because your body's gonna be different. It's gonna be better than you can imagine. Absolutely phenomenal. And this kind of leads us into the second thing I wanna talk about, this God of love and light in near-death experiences. A God of love and light. You know, almost universally across the board, <laughs> People who have these near-death experiences describe coming into the presence of a light that is so, so bright. They say it's like five times brighter than the sun, but they can actually look at it. In fact, it's difficult to look anywhere else. And they say that in this light is a source of love. And the closer they get to it, the more and more they realize, hey, this isn't just a light. This is a being, this is a person. And here's something absolutely fascinating. People who encounter this being and know about Jesus immediately identify him as Jesus Christ. Others will describe the exact same being, but they don't know who it is, right? Now, you, you may raise the objection, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, why would Jesus show himself to unbelievers? Well, in Revelation 1-7, we're told that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, there's a day coming when every person on this globe will stand in the presence of Jesus. Now you might say, well, if they saw Jesus, why wouldn't he preach the gospel to them? Why wouldn't they just put their trust in him? Well, seeing is not believing, people. Seeing is not believing. Many people saw Jesus on this earth. Many people saw the miracles Jesus performed on this earth and they chose to crucify him. They didn't believe in him. So seeing is not believing. In fact, some people become so hard and so skeptical over the course of their lifetime, they don't believe anything, especially anything that's good. But the Bible describes God himself and Jesus as light and love. Look at these verses. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, 
In him, there is no darkness at all. Then he goes on to say this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. When God describes himself in the Bible, the essence of his description is love. He goes on to say, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The greatest expression of God's love, sending his son, Jesus, to come and share that love with us and invite us into a relationship with the Father by sacrificing his life for us. So would it be surprising then to see Jesus as light in the same way that God is light? Here's what Jesus said. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And now watch this phrase, but will have the light of life. Notice he doesn't say we will see the light of life. Think about that for a second. Our experience with light is that it shines on things to illuminate them. But Jesus says that for my followers, they will actually have the light of life. The light that I have will become their light as well. The glory I have, I am going to share it with them. That's why Jesus says we have been adopted into his family. We are brothers and sisters with them. We share in God's glory and this is exactly what these near-death experienced people are describing. It comes right out of the Bible. And if we had more time, I could tell you stories about people who have seen the city and the kingdom and describe it with the same details that the Apostle John describes in Revelation chapter 20. Absolutely phenomenal. I could go on and on with examples of these people who've had near-death experiences and how they line up with the Bible. Here's one that's really profound. Okay, I love this one, so I'm gonna share it with you real quickly. There was a research group who decided to study these near-death experiences. And so they studied 500 people from India, primarily Hindu religion, and 500 people from the Americas, predominantly Christian religion. Because they wanted to see, okay, does your background, does religion in some way influence these near-death experiences? Here's what they discovered. The various Vedic loci of the afterlife, that is the Hindu heaven, were never mentioned by the 500 in India that had the near-death experiences. Nor were reincarnation and disillusion in Brahma. In other words, the main tenets of Hinduism were not seen there. He goes on to say this, that the concept of karma, accumulated merits and demerits may have been vaguely suggested by a report, and catch this, a report of a white-robed man with a book of accounts. Hmm exactly what the Bible describes Jesus to be in the book of Revelation. A white-robed man with a book of accounts. Isn't it interesting that people who don't know about the story are describing exactly what's in the Bible? It's fascinating. In other words, they're not seeing Vishnu. They're not seeing Shiva. They're seeing a man in white with a book of accounts. Very compelling. Now, I need to let you know that not all the near-death experiences are positive. In fact, 23% of people who say they leave their body and travel to a different place report a hellish experience. And the three common phrases they use to describe their experience, darkness, heat, and torment. Three words the Bible uses to describe a place called hell. 
You know, Howard Storm, who's a professor of art at Northern Kentucky University, he took his students on a tour of some museums in Paris when his small intestines ruptured, filling his abdominal cavities with toxins. He had just hours to get a surgery to repair that or he would die. And being in Paris, they rushed him to the hospital, but there wasn't a surgeon on standby standby at that point in time. And, And so he had to wait and wait and wait. And while he was waiting, he died. Here's what he describes. He later wrote, I knew for certain that there was no such thing as life after death. Only simple-minded people believe in that sort of thing. I didn't believe in God or heaven or hell or any of the other fairy tales. He expected oblivion, but instead he found himself alive standing in the hospital room. So at first, Howard felt so wonderful, he, he assumed that they had done the surgery and he was well. He didn't realize he was dead. He encountered a welcoming committee of nice people he thought were hospital staff, but then they deceived him and led him into outer darkness, exactly like Jesus describes in Matthew 8. Now, let me pause here as kind of an interpretive key. This is important. If he had just met that welcoming committee and felt good at that point in time, and then he came out of this near-death experience, he would have come back and reported that everything's okay. And people listening to that would have said, "Yeah, hey, I'm good. But he saw more. He experienced more. Watch what happens here. He said, there in that horrifying darkness, these beings turned on me and mauled me like the worst prison scene imaginable. At first, it was pushing, kicking, and pulling, and hitting, and then that became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands, and they were taking pieces of meat. There was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language, and then they became more invasive, and I don't ever go further with this because it was so demeaning. I mean, I don't talk about it. There has never been a horror movie that can begin to describe their behavior, purely sadistic. He says the emotional pain was worse than the physical pain. The physical pain was pain from head to foot, just solid, horrible, acute pain. It didn't begin to match what I felt on the inside, though. And in that place, I heard a voice which I identified as my voice, except that it did not come out of my throat. It's strange, but I feel like it came out of my chest. This voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't believe in God. I don't pray. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray if I wanted to pray. The voice said, pray to God. It says, eventually, in his desperation, Howard remembered a song he had learned when a neighbor child brought him to Sunday school as a kid. Jesus loves me, this I know. He said, I thought, why would Jesus care about me? I mean, even if he's real, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry, I thought. Enough of this, I'm done. I don't have anything else. I wanted it to be true that Jesus loved me. And so I yelled into the darkness, Jesus, save me. I've never meant anything more strongly in my life, he says. And when I said that, I saw a light, a tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light, hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful light. So intense, way brighter than the sun. And these hands and arms came out and they reached and they touched me. And when they touched me in that light, I could see me and all that gore and all that gore 
began to just dissolve and I became whole. And much more significantly to me than the physical healing was that I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love. And that love is now the foundation of my life. He goes on and says, he just gently picked me up, held me up against him real tight, up against his chest. So here I am with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby. I am slobbering and drooling with my head buried in his chest, and he starts to rub my back like a mom or a dad with a child. And I knew, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that he loved me very much, just the way I was. Jesus does love me. I had called out to Jesus, and he came to rescue me. I cried and cried, joy upon joy billowed through me. Wow. So he eventually woke up in that hospital room. He went home. He walked into his office at the Northern Kentucky University, resigned from his position. He went home and talked with his wife, who was also an atheist, and told her that he had had this experience with God and he was going to devote his life from that moment on to serving and loving God and other people. And you know what happened? She divorced him. Said, I'm not living with this lunatic. She was out of there. He's now a Christian pastor who actually travels the globe talking about this God of love and light and how to have a relationship with him. Now, why do I share these messages with you? couple reasons. First of all, I want you to know that if you have a relationship with Jesus and what you have on the other side is beyond what you can even fathom, it's greater than you can imagine. You don't have to fear that whatsoever. It's awesome. And you know, so many of us, I, I, I believe this, we get so consumed with this life, right? <laughs> How do I get all I can out of the here and now? What's going to happen today? And how am I going to make it next week? And how am I going to scratch and claw to get ahead in life? Because if I don't get it now, I'll never have it. I'll never have the good stuff. And that is so backwards. If you only knew about this God of love and life and how awesome he is, it would change everything. If you could only imagine heaven, I believe it would change how you live each and every day. And people, God wants to reward you. He wants heaven to be the time of celebration, to be a time of reward for a life lived in faithfulness to him, in loving God, loving other people. He has you here on this earth for a purpose. And it's never too late for any of us. God is the God of second chances. And no one, no one loves you more. Another reason I share this with you is because I know we all have friends and they're probably not real excited about talking to us about our relationship with Jesus. And so I want you to know this information because I, I happen to know from just different studies and what's happened since this book has come out that people outside the church are fascinated by this topic. And I want you to have conversations with your friends. And so to make it easier, they've taken John's big book and condensed it down to this little book called What's After Life? What's After Life? If you didn't get a copy last week, I want to give you a copy this week. They're going to be available out there. You can pick one up on your way out. But I want you to promise me this, that you'll take the time quickly to read it, okay? Tops, it's like an hour and a half read, very simple. And then I want you to pass it along to a friend. 
Because I think we've all got somebody who at some point in time, we tried to talk to them about Jesus, and they're like, yeah, I'm not interested. I think they'd find this to be fascinating. I think maybe, just maybe they'll read it, and then you can have a conversation. And then, this is really cool, around Easter time, hundreds of churches right now have already committed in Georgetown and the greater Austin area to start talking about this topic and this book in a citywide campaign that we're calling What's After. And it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. We're talking billboards, social media, radio, TV, commercials, news spots. We want people talking about this because it's absolutely compelling. And finally, maybe you're here this morning and you're still kind of skeptical of the whole Christian thing. And you're like, you know what? I got a lot of life ahead of me. You know, I'm not worried about what happens when I die. I need you to know that in these experiences are two very different futures. More joy than you can ever imagine in heaven. More pain, disappointment, frustration than you can ever imagine in hell. And this is not Brian, okay? I don't like the idea of hell. This is Jesus. And this is what people are experiencing. So let me end with this. Today would be a really good day to put your trust in Jesus. Choose heaven. Choose heaven. Let's pray. Lord, right now, as we all are here in the quietness of our heart, if there's anybody in this room and they're not convinced that if they were to pass away today that they would be in your presence, that they would be forgiven, that they have that relationship with you. I pray that right now they would cry out to you as Howard did, Jesus, save me. Because your forgiveness and the gift of eternal life are by faith alone, just by crying out to you, believing that you love us, that you died for us, and you want us to be your child. God, for those of us who are believers, I pray that this series, and as we talk about this in the future, it would inspire us to stop storing up treasures here on earth. And like Jesus said, start storing up treasures for the life to come, the real life, because any experience we have here is going to pale in comparison to the experience we will have one day in your kingdom. God, I pray that we would also take advantage of this opportunity because I believe what we're experiencing through modern medical technology and these reports that are coming out by the thousands, they're a testimony you're giving in these final days that you are real, that heaven and hell is real, that a relationship with you is real and available. So I pray that we would take this opportunity to pass this book along, to pass this information along, to challenge people who are skeptical, to challenge people who don't know you. And it's so easy because we don't have to defend anything. These are just the stories that are coming out left and right. And the evidence is right out there. And my prayer is that in the coming months and through this campaign, that Central Texas would be different that hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people might be convicted and come into a relationship with you. And we would see a revival 
And I know right now, even that other cities around the nation are watching what's happening here to see the impact. And God, we see your hand at work. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Japan and Cambodia, Vietnam, India, across the globe, Mexico. God, we want to see your hand and your Holy Spirit's power transform our nation because we desperately need a revival. So God, would you help us to be a part of that? Would you help us to do whatever we can to be tools in your hand to bring the good news of Jesus? It's in his name we pray.